I am Sam J. Jones, Flash Gordon. Okay. Oh, okay. excuse me. That's okay. It's been a long day. <laughs> the dome always does that to me. Okay. It's good to be seen. It really is. And you're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give you witchcraft. Can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Welcome to yet another Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. The only podcast to guarantee that if you listen, you'll hear stuff. This week in episode 441, I haven't a clue what to expect, so let's see how that works out. We're having another one of our Pandemonium Pandemic shows because of the need for social distancing in Area 51 and the clogging of the inner tubes and the whole world is is on the web for whatever ridiculous reason possible like 57 people on a meeting that nobody can hear anybody at whatever. So uh, we're using a paired backcast again tonight, hoping for the best in the area 51 broadcast facility tonight. It's just me and cap cam cam. How you doing? I am doing exceedingly well. I just have a question for you. Dome. Is this a, a cheese fondue fountain or is this a j- cheese fondue a jacuzzi? I just want to make I'm- sure I've got the use right. I want uh, it's the cheese fondue. I'm I threw the chocolate fountain out a couple of weeks ago. I was oh. getting really tired of it. Plus, my blood sugar went through the roof. Screw it. So we're back to cheese fondue. All right. So anyhow, on to the reason we're actually here. Um, <laughs> there, and there are some weeks when we do this, and we have no clue. Our guest for this episode is okay. Uh, She's a writer. Uh, I have never met her. I want to have a cup of coffee with her and pick her brain for about five or six hours. She's an indie writer who's, uh, yeah. (laughs) Well, let's get started because I don't have the words yet. So I want to welcome to the carnival to talk about her book, Sleepwater Beat, Catherine Hudson. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dome, and thank you, Cameron. I'm excited to be here, believe it or not. Okay. You'll get over that part really quickly. Okay. It's not a problem. Now, Sleepwater Beat is a kind of dystopian, near-futuristic science fiction story uh, with... How do I want to say this? Okay, let's start with, holy crap, was this a fun read. Oh, thanks, man. (laughs) I mean, I sat down and I started reading it. And Cam started reading it and he goes, hey, how far did you get? And I went, I'm on page 60. He goes, okay, no spoilers. 
I said, fine. And then we kept going back and forth. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? <laughs> and then today, in caps, I sent to him, I love this goddamn ending. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. And, and then, again, no spoilers, because <laughs> for me to spoil any part of this one would make me the biggest ass in history. I reread the last, what did I say, 20 pages, Cam? That's about right, 20 pages. Last 20 oh. pages of the book, five times. What? And I kept getting a little bit more each time. And it kept making, it, it. trust me when I tell you, you crammed so much into the last 20, 20 25 pages of that book. Oh. I mean, it was set up so beautifully, so wonderfully, and such an unexpected, little double triple twist at the end it was like watching greg luganis on the high board honest to god oh, nobody will man. get that no, nobody will get that simile but that's fine <sighs> i mean, just just watching that fall down was great and the, the cool part is sleepwater beat for all intents and purposes could be right now yeah so in terms of it being a a near future or a, a future history it's it's like uh man you see that thing that thing in the corner of your eye that every once in a while catches your attention that's kind of what this book is why don't you talk a little bit to our listeners about what this this world that you've invented actually is that is like 99% our world right now. Right. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm going to take a stab at it. You just, everything you just said kind of blew me away. So <laughs> thank you. And I'm so glad that you love that. Um, so it's actually funny that you, you know, as you say that everything in the world is, could be, possible theoretically now uh with a few you know minor exceptions um and that it's so close to what's happening today i'm i'm uh releasing the second book in the series too um on the the 26th of may and that is also eerily reflective of what's been happening in the last just couple of weeks honestly um so this this is a like you said near very near future dystopian sci-fi um, and the present timeline takes place in uh, 2030 and 2031. Um, so it's not too far off. Um, in this world, the um, there are a select few um, the group of people who are all over the world. Um, who have developed a sort of supernatural ability or a, you know, genetic mutation, if you will, um, a superpower that is uh, dependent upon the, the words that they speak, speaking with certain type of words, um, and, and they elicit physical responses in people who hear them speak this way. And I, I call their ability the beat, um, and it, it came about from this uh, random thought I had that was wondering what would happen if, you know, 
people say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, blah, blah, blah. Like, what if that was actually not true, though? What if words could really physically hurt people? And uh, and and what if the pen was mightier than the sword in a physical, literal way? So uh, we've got, you know, a minority group of people who are discriminated against and uh, hunted and feared and chased and... Uh, wanted for certain nefarious things um, who are just trying to get by and figure out how to how to live life with this ability that they can't stop or get rid of um, and and Sleepwater is this group of people um, who Leo the main character becomes a part of and sort of you know, fumbles her way through <laughs> now the, the, the whole concept of the beat is a way in which using words creates certain realities, which is a kind of shamanistic viewpoint of how words create within the soul. When you were putting, well, feel free to use it because I just said it about your book. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Anytime. Actually, I have a very close friend of mine who uh, who, who works with uh, shamans uh, throughout Southeast Asia and Central America, and uh, I so want to send her this book just to let her see that there's 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 a way in which that culture and this culture uh, uh, find a way to intermix and and, and work together. Well, you know what? Send send me your friend's information, and I'll send a book along. I'll send a physical copy. That would be awesome. <laughs> cool. I think she would absolutely love that. I would. I would love that. Yeah. The this is the first book of yours that I've read. Fair enough. That's <laughs> usually the case when somebody like your publicist, who's become a very good friend of mine, uh, says, I have somebody I'd love for you to read and I'd love for you to have on the show. So I do a little bit of research about them. Mm-hmm. And then, then I kind of read the book and I try and figure out what makes the book tick. In all honesty, if a book doesn't grab me by 40 pages, I'm going to struggle. Yeah. And I'm going to struggle horribly. Oh, and by the way, uh, by page 40, if I'm still with it, I have found the piece of music that I need to have behind it to listen to it. Oh, wow. And the piece of music, and I actually left a note for you about it. I saw it, Um, and I had no idea what you were talking about. (laughs) (laughs) There's uh, Brian Eno, who's this this wonderful, wonderful composer and musician has a uh, has done a number of albums. This one is is uh, I don't even know if it's available on disc. I mean, I I have it only as 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 vinyl. Oh. And, and I and I can't even look at my note right now and see which one it was. Um. But 
that was that was as I was reading the book, kind of set the tone that that I wanted to have with me as I was reading the book, because you let this story walk at its own pace. Yeah, and this this story has a number of paces. It, it has a a run and gun where for ten pages you can barely catch your breath, <laughs> and then it stops. It reconsiders itself. The characters kind of reform, and there's there's not an awful lot of unnecessary words there. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> there, there shouldn't be. I mean, I'm now I'm wondering what else you read. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, I I, re- I read a lot and I'm really old. So, I've been doing it for a while. <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad there are not a lot of unnecessary words. But be that as it, as it may, um, you found a style that allows you to become descriptive without a lot of verbosity, so that I can I can see where you are. I can see who the people are, I get an understanding of who the characters are and where they are enough to where whatever happens makes sense and is clear. And I mean, there are those people who will tell me every single item in the room and how loud the wristwatch was ticking on his wrist. Tick, tick. Tick, tick, and it, uh, and yeah, sometimes that works great, but not for this. Right. Not for no. this. This 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 was. Uh, I swear to God, the only the best way to it, it was fun. It was <laughs> it was it was a fun read, and I was pissed off when it ended because I wanted more, but I knew there was more, so I wasn't technically all that pissed off. That's good. That's good. I'll, uh, we'll have to talk about what you think in the next book. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, if you, if you think for a minute, you're not coming back to talk about the next book. All you're right. sadly. <laughs> so let's let's talk about one of the char- one of the things that I like most about your book, and and Cam and I talked about this. Cam, you want to you want to you want to talk about that? Oh sure. Well, one of the things I'll start it, and you can jump in wherever you feel you want yeah, to. But I'd, I'd start right about there. Yeah, is one of the <laughs> things you mention about this book is that it is an LGBTQ um, speculative fiction. I was mm-hmm. I did my research too and read some of your interviews and uh, previous interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and while oh, by the way, uh, by the way, before he goes any further, I disagree with that. It absolutely isn't. But go on. Well, no, 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 but that's where I was going with this. Get, get a chance here, bub. 
She's, you, you, you see, Catherine, what I have to deal with here on a regular basis. Wow. <laughs> You're doing great. You're really doing great. Why, thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but it's, you've got such strong, you've got such strong characters that just resonate with you. And especially your primary character, your lead character, Leo, who I have to say, about I'd say 75-80% of the time when I read a book, the lead character is never terribly interesting to me. I always find like two or three background characters that I just fall in love with. Mm-hmm. And in this case, Leo, it took me a little bit. I'd say about around, around what Dobe said, around somewhere around the page 30 or 40, I really did love Leo. I really wanted to see her grow. I was love watching her grow. Yeah. But one of the things it mentions is that this is this is an LGBTQ book, but you have such strong resonant characters to whom the LGBT community is one piece of who they are. It is one, you know, if it, if if each character is a mosaic, this is one block of that beautiful mosaic, and here are all the other blocks that make up that character. And you take one of those blocks out, the whole thing falls apart. But you've got this wonderful thing, but it doesn't, the LGBTQ community piece doesn't overwhelm the rest of it, nor does any other piece. They all just fit so wonderfully together. Oh, good. Thank you. And that, that was absolutely my intention. <laughs> nice you, you job. Uh, thank <laughs> you. Thank you very much. I'm doing my job very well. Yeah, that was... um. That was very intentional because I I wanted to write and see more um, LGBTQ speculative fiction where queer characters were a part of the story and a part of, you know, the the community of characters and um, the growth of everyone involved without, you know, that, (laughs) like, blaring horn that's saying, ah, we're queer characters and this is how... not to say that there's anything wrong with that, um, but that's not the way I, I want to do it because the, um, the point here was taking a bunch of, like you said, different blocks of the <laughs> mosaic of characters and um, different elements from a variety of marginalized communities or unexplored groups of people where you know the majority of society uh don't either don't know to look for these people or don't know to you know don't even try to see them or um where they just don't want to and so i, I was or try desperately these... not to see them exactly exactly yes thank you and i and i was putting all these pieces together with the intention of highlighting um you know that uh, huge disparity between <laughs> between marginalized communities and people who face discrimination every day and, um, you know, <laughs> the people on the other end of that um, through through highlighting this group of people with this ability. You know, it's, it's one more thing that they have no choice in, uh, that they didn't choose, they were born with it, and that they can't change, and it's a part of them, uh, and it is the source of their... Um, of them being discriminated against and facing a whole bunch of different stuff. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad to hear that it went well, that it worked well. Yeah. I have a fondness for the LGBTQ community. 
for a whole bunch of reasons. <laughs> a, a whole bunch of reasons. And it, when it became clear to me that this, the, the characters like Alex and, and Kaylee and, and, and were, were really no different than Cameron and Bernadette and everybody else because they're it's it's hard to explain how you can you know lay layer out these characters so well (laughs) which brings me to how did this story come together for you? Was it, was it a character, a series of characters, an event? Oh. What brought this up? That's that's a good good question. Um, I I do those occasionally. Occasionally, well, <laughs> was waiting for one. You know. Um, there you go. You got one. Thanks. You're done. <laughs> We're good. Yeah, that's it. Um, uh, Sweetwater Beat actually started as a, a an. Ex- experimental short story um where i basically started with this scene uh, in my head uh which did not make it in the book as as you will notice after i <laughs> tell you about it um <clears throat> there's a scene of of leo punching a man over the side of a frozen waterfall and killing him uh, <laughs> and carl was there and and i was like huh this is interesting. What's, what's going to happen with this scene? I don't know. And so I wrote, I, I wrote sort of like a timeline, but not really of just different scenes in, uh, in the span of, you know, the relationship between Leo and Carl originally, which originally was also, um, uh, like something of a heterosexual relationship with them. And, um, it did not work, obviously. <laughs> um, but so I, I wrote all of these themes, you know, bullet points. And I, I wanted to, to do something like uh, the movie Memento, where, you know, uh, all the storyline is broken up in bits and it goes backwards in time and you figure out what happens. Except for this one, I said, I don't want any of these scenes to be chronologically together backward or forward so I cut the bullet point paper into strips and just rearranged it so that none of it made sense um chronologically and I wanted to see if I could tell a story that way um and uh that short story well it wasn't really short it was like 30,000 words but it got workshopped by um a writer's group that I, I belonged to when I lived in South Carolina and uh they really loved it. And then they had all these questions about like, you know, what, what about the world and, you know, how do other people react to this and blah, blah, blah. And they got me so excited that I decided to turn it into a novel. Um, and that was just, uh, <laughs> it's just grueling. It was like <laughs> the most, uh, it took me two years to take apart, um, the that 30,000 word short story and sift through the scenes I wanted to keep um and then rewrite complete uh arcs in there um 
and stretch it out in, into a novel, but it, whew, it was so much better. It was so much better. And it was, yeah, two years of uh, intense literary surgery <laughs> and uh, banging my head against the wall for hours on end. Um, but I did it. And then I, and then I discovered that I was actually writing myself into Leo more than I have done with any other character that I have written to date. And, um, and then the story just really took off because I, I was in it (laughs) very much. Um, You, you allowed yourself the ability to just run with it. Yeah. Yeah, I really did. And there were some, you know, there were some scenes that I, I really, really worried about um, sticking in there, not because, not because of what anyone would think in terms of like, oh, this isn't for me. I'm talking specifically about the uh, the bedroom scene with Leo and Kaylee, and and that was that was something that to me. Oh felt, God, felt are you serious? There. Yeah, that was but, amazing. That that you. was an thank absolutely you. amazing scene. <clears throat> that was so it reminded me of the difference between a daisy and a rose in that a rose has petal after petal after petal after petal that falls a daisy has 16 and each one means something very specific for the moment and in that three-page scene, every word was important. Every mm-hmm. whisper was important. Every touch was important, mm-hmm. including waking up the next morning, yeah. which I thought was just wonderfully done. Oh, thank and, you. And I'm trying so hard not to give away shit right now. I know. It's you so good. <laughs> we got to talk about this with the with the non-spoiler label removed because I could speak out about this all day. I could really good. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So, and, and that was a hugely important scene for me and I felt for the story to include. Um, and and I, was, I was so worried about it as I was writing it. Um, because I had realized at that point that I was writing so much of myself into Leo and that I was writing um, so, so many of my own life experiences into her story um, that I, <laughs> I started to wonder if like, have I really blended these so much that I'm crossing the line between like putting in a superfluous intimate scene just because I feel like I want to write it? And I don't want, I don't want it to ruin the story. And I really, I really struggled with that. But um, then eventually I, I told myself to shut the hell up and just do it. <laughs> I would, I would, t- I would tend to agree with Dome because I've read books where either heterosexual or otherwise, they, there are scenes that are superfluous. There was not a superfluous scene anywhere in this book. Every yeah. scene of intimacy, yeah. no matter who it was with, was important to moving the plot forward. Mm-hmm. There wasn't anything that was just put in there just to put it in there. It Everything felt like it moved it towards that final, as Dome put it, 25 pages of the book, which just mm-hmm. blow your mind. Thank you. 
I'm so glad. And that's always, yep. I, I don't think I have intentionally written any superfluous scenes um, or, you know, like, hey, this book needs a uh, fight scene. So it doesn't matter if it's the wrong time, I'll put it in there anyway. I, I, I try not to do that anyway. <laughs> so when you're, when you're putting this together, mm-hmm. when, when, when you're actually doing the, the hard stuff, after you've done all the cutting and the pasting and the stripping and the and the and the the, the glue and everything else, yeah. Uh, what's your writing style? How do you do it? How do you make it work? How, hmm. I'm not sure what you mean by that. My like, well, yeah. I ask I ask this question a lot because process is always kind of a, an interesting thing for me. Um, one one of my oldest friends in science fiction writing is Spider Robinson. I, I don't know if you know who he is. Yes, I do. He was a pro- oh, you do! God mm-hmm. bless you. I love you even more now. You yeah. just made a fit. You just made a friend for life. Yeah, absolutely. Want to let you did. know. And Spider would tell me the stories uh, about how he was the night watchman in new york city of a hole in the in the in the ground he was then as they were building the subway and he sat in a little shack in front of a hole at night to protect the hole and he would read like amazing stories and hugo gernsback and all this other stuff and then one day it dawned on him he said you know what i can do better than this so one day, instead of reading, he started writing. And every night while he was guarding this hole in the ground, he would write. And that became his thing, where he could only write at oh, night. Oh, okay. No, 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 <laughs> in night, total yeah. darkness. Oh, so yeah. his, his day became totally inverted when he became a full-time writer, where he would when when he married his 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 beautiful wife Jeannie, um, they would meet for breakfast. Jeannie would go to work. He would go to sleep, wake up for dinner. Jeannie would get home. They would eat dinner together. She would go to bed, and he would go up to his office and write for six hours. Yeah. And they lived that way for thirty years. Wow. <laughs> That is a long time. <laughs> yeah, to do so, that exact yeah. same schedule. Yeah. Mm. And then there so, are other people who like, I have to sit at the same chair in front of the same window, the same desk in front of the same word processor, blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> and I have to, I can only, I want to do 2,000 words a day. And when that's done, I can take a breath. I can walk away and, and get on with my life. So how do you yeah. do it? <laughs> well, um, so uh, the way I do it is a lot different than it was when I wrote Sleepwater Beat. I will definitely say that. Um, but um, now, currently, which is uh, uh, more pertinent, I guess, to our conversation, um, I write all day, every day for a living. <laughs> so I, I also am a fiction ghostwriter, and I write for um, a few fairly large uh, publishers. Um, so that takes up, you know, about 
80% of my time. And uh, because it is, of course, you know, immediate funds. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, and I don't, have, I don't have to handle any other part of it. Um, but my, my schedule right now is I wake up between four and five o'clock in the morning um, and, you know, make myself a cup of coffee and uh, stretch or meditate or stare at a wall until I'm fully awake. And then I get to it. Um, and I write until usually about five o'clock at night. Um, sometimes I go till six. But I have a three-year-old. Um, and so I do want and need to spend time with her as well. Uh, and I only write five days a week, which I didn't used to. It used to be in 24-7 pretty much. And that was rough. But it got us to the point now where, where uh, my husband was able to uh, stop working to be a stay-at-home dad, which is what he wanted to do. And so fortunately, he has been here with her and we didn't have to change much at all during this whole experience that the world is currently undergoing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I write for 12 hours a day, five days a week. Um, and there are breaks in there. I do, I sprint. So I'll, you know, sprint for 25 to 30 minutes with breaks in between for about two or three hours. And then I'll take a little bit of a longer break and uh, get back to it and do it over and over and over again. And um, I, <laughs> I've stretched my writing muscle to the point where I, I write quite a lot of words in a day. Um, and so, like I said, about 80% of those are for my clients and the books I'm writing for them. And the rest of it is for my stuff. Um, I still haven't uh, tackled the procrastinator syndrome so I end up, you know, sometimes prioritizing my my paid fiction work um, over my own stuff. And then, you know, I set deadlines for myself that are hard deadlines because I have to get something to my publicist and I can't change the schedule. So then I end up writing um, the rest of my own books in a very short timeline to get it done. And that's about it. It's, it's just kind of a crapshoot. Speechless. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Is it something that was interesting I came across, and I did mention this to Dome, again, when we were going back and forth. Mm -hmm. One of the things I loved is some authors have trouble with world building. Mm -hmm. it's, and it's not an easy thing, so I'm not even going to even judge. Because, you know, especially if you're building a world that isn't, Here's present day, 2020, uh, May, whatever, May 11th, right. you know, right. you know, yeah. everybody knows what that is, you know, and that, that's, that's easy. But when you want to write, and like you said, you're writing, you know, a few years into the future, but you also need to build up this world. Now, what I loved about the book was that you took the time and I'm going to, I used this term in quotes when I wrote this down for Dome. I said, you use the new, the quote news media to help yeah. you to in world building, and and it it seemed to make things build so much better. 
because you got you got these little news reports, and it may have been from quote unquote mainstream, and it may have been from some some. Uh, uh, oh, you had Alex Jones in there for sure. Yes, uh, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm glad you saw that too. That <laughs> I love that nothing's getting by you guys. It's perfect. Oh, I'm no, so happy about it. So nothing. Happy. I'm so but, happy. <laughs> yeah, it's it was great, but. So is was this something that you had planned out ahead of time? That how did you you know? Because I loved it how it was like it was a three beat thing. You do, and I forgot if you please forgive me if I get this backwards. But you do, quote unquote, present day, past news media, present day, past news media, yes. right up until you got everything out. I did get it right. Sweet. Yeah. And so, how did you? It, what what made you think of doing it that way? that it, it helped with that beats and everything is, well, there we go. Beats. Gee. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. See, <laughs> nothing uh-huh. gets by you. Not, not much. Oh. Eventually, eventually I get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a great question. And I love that. So, you know, one of the, I suppose, supporting underlying uh, messages, I guess that uh, I wanted to get across with Sleepwater beat first before uh, I realized that it was <laughs> going to start a series. Um, and now with with all the rest of, of the Blue Helix books written and yet to be formed, I, I wanted to touch on the 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 twenty four hour news cycle and the uh, the in quotes news media um, phenomenon phenomenon I suppose, uh, but. It, which is really such a strange thing because when I wrote Sleepwater Beat, um, yeah, I finished it right after my daughter was born in October of 2016 and right before the 2016 election. Um, <clears throat> so I thought I was writing far enough into the future that it <laughs> wouldn't be as scary as it is. Oh, um, wrong you were. <laughs> I know, I know. It, and like I said, it's, it's happening again with the second book in the series and, and current times um, in, in some real ways. And it's just so strange. But um, so I wanted to comment on, on the, the 24 hour news cycle and the, the rampant capitalism and um, uh, how much the information technology age has, you know, woven its way into so many different other sectors of just human existence um mashed in with some some of my (laughs) thoughts on western medicine and healthcare and the pharmaceutical industry um and so i wanted to show what was happening in this world with all of those things and uh there was no way to do that through Leo's perspective in either in her, her present um, chapters, I suppose in the present tense or her chapters from her past because she um, grew up in a familial situation that was not conducive to um, understanding these things and the impact that they had in the world. And then when she got old enough to the, you know, at the point where she, Leo could have 
uh, discovered these things, she chose not to. And she she did <laughs> decide to hide under a rock, so to speak. Um, and also, I wanted to keep her separate from, you know, again, no spoilers. We can't, we can't spoil anything. But uh, as, as you two obviously know, um, her, her past and the present timeline come right back toward each other and just kind of collide um, as a part of everything that had been growing and building with the world building through those, those news clips or radio shows or whatever it happened to be. Um, and, and I think I also just, I also just wanted to um, satirize a few news stations. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you you definitely did a good job with the sound. I cannot I imagine what you're talking <laughs> yeah. about there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's <laughs> a combination, but uh, <laughs> there's a wonderful have... series on, on the Science Channel that you may or may not be aware of called uh, "Black Files Declassified." Uh, it, oh yes, it's and I started I watching this series. Uh, as I was reading this book, and that kind of, you know, it's like this 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 story centers around a number of black government projects, oh. uh, as and 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 the whole thing just kind of ties together nicely for me in such a wonderful way because. Catherine, you're a hell of a storyteller. You 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 you're. A really, really good storyteller. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> I love it. I mean, I already knew that, but I appreciate hearing it from you. <laughs> well, if you didn't know it, then you wouldn't be writing. But it's when other people know it that it makes much more sense to everybody. And it, it is. It, it is encouraging. I will say. You know, like it's. It's always good to hear, and I always appreciate it. Thank you. So book two in this series, Sleepwater Static, comes out soon. Yes, it does. Yes. And when it comes out, you're coming back to talk about that book. And then the question is going to be, is this a series that is going to continue? How do you feel about that now? The series continuing or coming back on the show to talk about? No, this series continues. Yeah. This series of books. Yes. So while there are two books now, um, there will be at minimum three books. Um, so I'm already sort of brewing uh, book three in the, the primordial creative ooze. Um, and then when I finish book three i'll be able to see whether or not the story needs to continue um because as it stands right now i could very well wrap everything up in three books or i could very well leave it open um and my intention with the blue helix series is is to write every book uh relatively as a standalone people could read it start with any one of them um and i'm crossing my fingers but that's that's what's happening <laughs> well you have done the job that every good storyteller 
hopes for in that the reader, in this case, me and, and Cam, want more. Because you've created some some wonderful characters that I've come to care about an awful lot. Oh, good. And I want good things, or I want them to rise above the bad things that are going to happen to them. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. <laughs> that's that you know that that may be the hardest part for me because I do write dark fiction um <laughs> there's always hope and there is always something um but <laughs> the problem is now not digging them into uh so big of a hole that they can't get themselves back out but I I have faith that they will they're a pretty good group of people we'll see what happens <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things I really loved about it, even though you you call, you call this dark fiction, mm-hmm. Catherine, is yeah. that it's is that they're never completely gloomy. They have these moments. Is that they have these moments of joy, absolute joy. And there's one moment that I can't give away because it is a spoiler as well, although it's a oh. minor spoiler. But they have these moments of joy. I think you know which one I'm talking about. But I don't have, actually. They have these moments of. <laughs> We'll talk about it when the recording starts. Yeah. Once we go off Perfect. the air, I'll tell you which one. Yeah, exactly. I think it's the same one but I'm thinking of as well. You have these of joy, which allow for this for the darkness. Yeah. So, yeah, you have these moments of joy that never allow this to go completely dark. And that's mm-hmm. what I love about this book. Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, I feel like writing something completely dark without any hope, without any joy or contrasting emotion um, is just as ineffective and boring as uh, writing something super happy slappy all the time with uh, (laughs) nothing really going wrong and no darkness to it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just like life, right? If you have uh, too much darkness, you're (laughs) you're just going to, disappear and uh if if you're just all happy all the time then you're lying to yourself (laughs) at at the beginning of this interview i said uh, i didn't have the words yet yeah uh (laughs) to describe who Catherine hudson is i'm not much better off now than i was when we started (laughs) but the good news is you guys out there in in the ether webs have gotten a really, really good understanding of the beginning of a really, really good series of books by a a writer who has developed a a style that is really a lot of fun to read, uh, developed a a world, built a world that is both real and, and, and frightening and yet hopeful all at the same time. And and thanks for being with us, Catherine. Oh, thanks for having me. This is a great conversation. I loved it. <laughs> I'm excited to come back and do it all over again with the next book. And we will be just as excited then. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. 
We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you're looking for a really great gift book for that rapidly approaching semi-annual Fairbanks Melt Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is available on Audible, because I'm not sure where else you can find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, just look at robwattsonline.com. And don't forget to try the Watts sauce we have. We love it. Our outro was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. You can find Lawrence Made Me Cry's music on Bandcamp. And a whole lot of love to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from his booking books. Thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying... Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus, we all refute entropy. Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So, unless it's daytime, good night, everybody. There once was a girl from Nantucket. Good night, everybody. Yes.